Chase. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Hello, everyone. My first guest today is New York State controller since 2006, Tom DiNapoli. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. It's great to be on with you. Congratulations on your show. I enjoy listening to it, and I'm enjoying the opportunity to speak with you. Well, I'm so glad. Thank you for listening, and thanks for coming on. Um, I just want to start to set the table a little bit with our listeners. People know you. You've been around. You were an assemblyman for many years. You were actually uh, the youngest school board member when you were elected to the Mineal School Board way back when. Wasn't way back when. Wasn't Ancient that history. long ago. <laughs> <laughs> when you get that elevator conversation, so what does the controller actually do? What's your 30-minute pitch? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I do get that question a lot <laughs> because the, the title doesn't always lend itself to explaining the job. But uh, real brief, um, what we do uh, is look after the state budget. We don't negotiate the budget. We don't make decisions on how the money's spent. That's up to the legislature, the governor. But after they make their decisions, we make sure the money is spent as intended. So we approve contracts. We approve payments. We do the payroll for the state. We do audits of state payments. We do audits as well of state government, uh, state agencies, public authorities. And then, as you know from your uh, time as county executive, we also do audits of local governments, counties, towns, villages, school districts, New York City included. So that audit function, both on the state side and local government side, is a big part of what we do. We do a lot with state operations just to keep with like the back office operation for the state. Many people know us for the state pension fund. 1.1 million New Yorkers are part of our retirement system. It's the largest pension, uh, public pension plan in the state, one of the largest in the country. Which you manage. Yep. We, so we do the benefit administration and we do the investments of the over well over $200 billion portfolio. So that's a, a big responsibility uh, right there. Uh, we comment on, on state fiscal practices. Again, we're not the policy shop, but we, we do look at that. We issue some state debt and uh, we do some fun things like uh, returning people's lost money, unclaimed funds. Yes, people love that. Yep. We administer the 529 College Savings Program, the ABLE Program for uh, disabled individuals to save. We're part of the oil spill fund. So there's some miscellaneous items that we do. But I would say if it has something to do with money, state money, we probably touch it in some way. And uh, we are the office that really emphasizes transparency and accountability. So it's important stuff. And it's important to have a steady hand when you do this kind of work. And I don't have to tell you this, but drama seems to swirl around you. But you are that calm force amid the sudden shifts of tectonic plates in power in Albany and in New York. So you took over for Alan Hevesy, who had to leave in disgrace a month after his 2006 reelection. He had pled guilty to a couple of felonies having to do with corruption and, you know, misusing money. Uh, And then you served with governors Elliot Spitzer, David Patterson, Andrew Cuomo. You know, I, I I see that as three seasons of a binge series just waiting to be written. Uh, But there you persevere, steadily doing your job, getting reelected by really huge numbers, even in 2022, uh, when the governor basically squeaked by in what turned out to be a nail biter, a bunch of blue New York congressional seats turned red. You, a Democrat, you you basically breezed by with a 14 point lead. Uh, Why? How I mean, I'm hoping that you keep a journal and that you'll write something when you're done, because I think it's it'll be a real page turner. But you can't talk about it now. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of people have asked me to do that. Yes, be honest with you, I've, I've never kept a journal, but I have a pretty good memory. You know, look, I, I think part of it is um, that the office lends itself to being less partisan than other right. offices. Right, you're not making is, you're not making those do or die decisions that are going to alienate half of the population. Well, and and you know the. Uh, Controllers have been Republicans and Democrats. It's been a while since they've been a Republican, though. You may remember Ned Regan was controller for a number of years. Yeah. And uh, he he would win in years when Democrats you know, were, were being elected governor. So I think this office has always risen above the politics. Yes, and, I think and you're I think right. You also know me for a long time. Yeah. I, I, I am, my personal style is a bit more laid back than others in this line of work, and which I think actually lends itself to the credibility of this office. Absolutely. And, and I try very hard, and I say to my team, you know, if, if, if people are going to view us um, as being an authoritative voice on, on the different issues we have to work on, uh, we can't be the ones just out there screaming or doing cheap political shots. And right. keep in mind, Laura... My, my agency is 2,800 people, right? So I also run an agency in addition to being an elected official. Most of the folks that work for me are civil servants. So so like the audits, right? We get criticized sometimes. The audits, oh, you're being political. You tell the auditors what to write. No, the auditors are professional civil service people. They call it as they see it. I don't know if they're Republicans or Democrats. I, I didn't hire them. They came into the merit system. They're trained as auditors or CPAs. When they do their work, I back them up. Because I, you know, I support them, but, but I always say, because we do credible work and it's not political, that's what gives us the 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 ability to weigh in in a way that people say, all right, we may not agree with everything that comes out of the office, but at least they're doing it for the right reasons, not just to score political points. So, so that's. That's the challenge of maintaining that. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hard because I do have to run for office. I do have to run on a political party. Right. An, an interesting question once posed to me was, shouldn't the controls office perhaps be a nonpartisan office? Should that be an office that, that doesn't run with political party? Interesting question. I mean, mm. it's not, that's not our history of doing that in New York. But um, if ever there was an office that is certainly the least partisan, it's this office. And I'd like to think that my... You know, temperament lends itself to that. So I think that's why we've been able to uh, continue, and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that that will uh, go on. Because I I love the work that I do. It's been a great opportunity in public service. After doing kind of the other kind of work as a legislator, where you mm-hmm. didn't have to have an opinion on everything, and a little more contentious uh, times, you know, uh, this is a real opportunity to serve people, and that's been important, given all the. As you point out, the political ups and downs, people coming and going, the challenges of COVID 10, 12 years ago, the Great Recession and pulling out of that. We've been through some really complex moments, but I'm very proud of the fact that my office has been a stabilizing force through it all. Yeah, I think it's important to have that reassurance and to have that steady through line, that stability. And just anecdotally, you know, I speak to a lot of Democrats, Republicans. I speak with developers, the trade union guys. And to a man and a woman, I hear about you, Tom. I like that guy. You know, he's a good guy. (laughs) Um, But yet... That's a a credit to my parents more than to me. They raised me the right way. (laughs) You're very humble. Uh, But so just before, I just wanted, I want to talk about sales tax and the enacted budget. But before I get to that, just one more political thing. Yeah. Um, You're, you 
you're, you don't come across as a partisan at all. But I do see you as having a keen political mind. And I'll give the listeners an example. There was a dinner right before the 2022 election at the famous Crest Hollow in Nassau County. If you're involved in Long Island politics, you've been there a million times. Mm-hmm. It was right before the election. All the heavy hitters were there giving their speeches and rallying the troops before the election. But I felt your tone matched the moment better than anybody else's. Uh, It seemed that you were the only one to seize on the urgency of that moment in a way that other Democrats perhaps just wanted to avoid or at least pretend in public it wasn't there. And it was something to the effect of, guys, guys, the usual way of doing things is not working right now. Wake up. We Mm. could lose this. This Mm. could not go well for us. And it really struck me uh, what was going on in your mind at that time. Well, I mean, look, uh, being out there on the trail last year, you saw, uh, you know, people people are concerned, frightened in many ways about what's happening. And Democrats are in charge. Right. And we need to understand that when people are concerned and upset, they are going to Take it out on the people who are in office. And we need to at least express an understanding of the frustrations that are there, own the fact that we you know, have some responsibility, but also at the same time try to project the impression of optimism, mm-hmm. of confidence in what we're doing. And I, I felt you know, we were missing some of those opportunities. And also, you know, picking up what you said before, just not getting into our own little echo chamber. Yes. And we do that so often. Oh, yeah. And look, I mean, you know, Nassau has been a challenging place up and down in terms yeah. of the politics. I grew up at a time when it was very Republican. My parents were all Republican. My whole family was Republican. I've always had a sense that you you need to not demonize the other side. Right. Because they're, but that's how you govern, too. You know, right. you're a tremendous support across the aisle because we're the, you got to be there with a message that is inclusive and unifying. And I, and I feel that so much of the discourse, some of it is because of the national uh, divisiveness, filters down to local level where it gets way too divided in a way that it doesn't enable us to build bridges. And I think our party suffered from that last year. Yeah, well, you talked about that very eloquently. All right, let's dig down into the numbers. You recently did a report in the drop in sales tax. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, you know, our sales tax have been really strong and, and you've seen growth, uh, you know, even uh, coming out of the COVID uh, uh, recovery and the challenges of the economy. And and, and j- even January, February this year, pretty strong growth. And I think year over year, we were up like 12, uh, over 12 percent. But in April, we see still growth, but it's slowing significantly. The April sales tax growth was only 1.5 percent. Uh, and some of that is related to inflation. Uh, so I think that shows a couple of things. Uh, it certainly shows that in many ways the economy is starting to cool. No surprise with all the uncertainty out there. And I think it shows consumers, which is what drives sales tax, right? People spending money. Mm-hmm. People are nervous about the future, uh, Laura. And I think they're holding back on some of those purchases. So, you know, all the project- projections, possible recession, high interest rates, you know, the geopolitical situation. Mm-hmm. You're seeing uh, that reflected, I think, in the sales tax lowering. What we also put out recently, you know, related to that is that the first quarter uh, or the first month, rather, April tax collections, which is the first month of our fiscal year, down lower than projected state revenues, not just when accumulation of 
personal income tax, sales tax, business tax, down much lower than first projected. So again, I think we're headed for a more problematic economy that's going to impact on revenues coming to New York State. New York City is going to face some of the same challenges as well. You know, when I was county exec, uh, 40% of our budget in Nassau County came from sales tax. So this is a number we watched very, very closely. So you're saying that it's coming in under what the budget, what the state budget has predicted. That could be a problem for the budget, no? Yeah, I mean, keep in mind the state budget has, you know, more uh, tax revenue than obviously personal income tax being the bigger one than right. sales tax for the state. That's true. But you point out accurately, you know, a lot, a lot of people, as you know, complain about property taxes all the time, right? Yeah. But the county, Nassau, Suffolk, uh, where we are, depends more on the sales tax. And the sales tax is much more volatile uh, than property tax. And, and and what we're seeing now is a slow. Now, whether what we're seeing in April is going to continue for the rest of the year, hard to tell. Right. But I, I think it means we need to be very careful in monitoring the revenue and the spending. This year's state budget made some significant spending commitments. Important areas, you know, health care, education, more money uh, on the mental health front. Obviously, the whole migrant issue is becoming a yes. big debate about yeah, how much money about that a lot. can spend there and the state it's going to put some money to help with that. But but we need the revenue to come in to, to pay for these programs. So we need to be mindful of the fact that, the, you know, at least for now, there's, there's some concern about the revenue picture. Speaking of revenue, this these won't come online for a while. But uh, what do you think the impact of the three downstate casinos, when they are awarded, when those licenses are awarded, will have on state finances? Because casinos are basically, you know, people coming to a craps table or a Russian or roulette or whatever it is and saying, here, government, take my money. Mm. Well, let me give you my general view. Um, I, I've always felt that the proponents of expanding of gaming opportunities, be it expanding lottery options or casinos, often say, well, this is going to save us money in the long as revenue is coming in. The revenue, generally speaking, never matches what the projections are. Uh, the mobile sports betting was kind of was an exception. That came in actually higher than first projection. Yes. I, I think it's an open question as to how much, in fact, we'll get from the casinos. And you saw as part of the state budget agreement, some of that money is now going to be dedicated to the MTA, which is, you know, obviously had big needs in terms of shoring up their finances. Huge. So, so I hope it comes in as projected. I, I generally don't think we should be funding government on, you know, on, um, on gaming revenues, but uh, it's obviously here. New York is behind other states in terms of, of, of having these. But, you know, you do reach a point where you're kind of competing against yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where, you, know, the, you know, the more casinos you have, the, the more you're, you're just kind of, kind of pirating from each other and from other entertainment possibilities. But the doors are already open. There are going to be three more casinos. Uh, I hope that much more than we've done in the past, a significant amount of revenue will be dedicated to deal with the problem of addiction to gaming. People yeah. do have a gambling problem. It ruins families. It ruins individuals. We, we, you know, we shouldn't be so quick to take all the money and put it into government's, government spending and not put a big chunk of that money into helping those that fall into the trap of addiction. So Tom DiNapoli, the New York State Controller, we have one minute we could do an hour, but I want to ask you uh, about MTA. We could do we could do a whole you know yep. week on that. Yep. Uh, fair beating and all of that. The license plates being obscured means that MTA is missing out on close to seven hundred million dollars. That's almost close to a billion. That's a lot of money. Is this just a bleeding animal that will never be whole? 
Well, no, I, we, can't, we can't take that point of view. But I, I do think what you're pointing out is they do need to tighten up their operations. Yeah. And, and they have been more direct about talking about the fair beating issue. Look, the legislature came up with some significant uh, revenue sources to help the MTA through this challenging time. The federal government, credit Chuck Schumer and, and, and the federal government, really kept the MTA on life support during the COVID uh, time. But that federal money is not forever. The state money uh, hopefully will balance things out. Congestion pricing is going to be another possible revenue source to help with the capital program. But that should not be an excuse not to deal with issues like fair beating, making sure that they, they, they get rid of the redundancies in their operations, make sure they they have work rules that are that are that are uh, effective. We need people back on the subways because so much of, yeah. of the revenue for the MTA is driven by subway and and train and bus fares. And people, for various reasons, have still been reluctant to come back to what the levels were of of of, of ridership uh, pre-COVID. Well, as a Long Islander, I love the Long Island Railroad. I take the subway. It it is it does seem to get more crowded. The thing that drives me crazy are these license plates that people obscure. So they don't have to pay the tolls. But anyway, well, that's Tom, a problem, that's a problem with the Thruway Authority too. Yeah, they're looking for, a re- let's have for an increase also. Yeah, let's yeah. have some enforcement of that. Tom DiNapoli, I would love to have you back. Thank you so much for enlightening us, and really appreciate you joining me on Cut to the Chase. Thanks, Laura. Take care. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about transit-oriented development and a way to get around for free, not even beating the fare, doing it the right way. Next on Cut to the Chase after the break.